Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want us to turn to the book, or turn your attention at least to the book of James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please join us there. The book of James chapter 1 and verse 22, a very familiar scripture to many. The Bible says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Just a few weeks ago, I taught on a Wednesday night uh, from some of these very passages of Scripture, and so we may have a little bit of overlap here today, but I pray that the Spirit of God can help us to understand the value of His Word as it applies to our everyday life. On a beach in Rio de Janeiro, a man lives in a very elaborate uh, sandcastle, and um, he has lived in this unorthodox dwelling for 22 years. Daily, he wears a crown, holds a scepter, and sits on a wooden throne outside of his own personal citadel. It just seems like the perfect life, right? But it's not one long vacation for this man because the task of keeping his sandcastle from falling down is constant. Every day, there's the threat of winds or storms or tides. And the water, the sand has got to be consistently watered to prevent the sand from just crumbling down around him. And uh, so it's, it seems idealistic at first glance, but it's certainly not. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives us an illustration that just sort of parallels this unorthodox story. Because Jesus talks about a man who built his house on sand. When the rains turned to floods and when the strong winds assaulted the structure, the Bible says that great was the fall of it. It was great a great fall. And so if we read in between the lines of this parable, we realize that, that really Jesus is not talking about building houses, but really, in fact, Jesus is talking about making wise choices. Amen. I believe we can see the, the difference between these two because Jesus doesn't just talk about a man who built his house on the sand, but he also talks about a man, a wise man, who built his house on the rock. And uh, when the rains came and the winds came, they, these elements did not threaten his dwelling at all. And so I believe that life is all about choices. I really believe that with all of my heart that we made, you made a choice to be here tonight, today. And so life is all about choices. And so we have to make sure that we choose what to do when it comes to the word of God. Today our, our topic is going to be a hearer and a doer. And uh, we have a choice to make today. And uh, the choice wasn't just whether or not to show up. The choice is not just whether or not to participate when we get here. The choice is not whether or not we speak to somebody across the aisle or we worship the Lord the choice is going to be what will we do with the taught or the preached word of the Lord today? What are we going to do with that? It's about making wise decisions. And so the parable of Jesus 
has a context. And the context helps us, I believe, see something very, very important. In Matthew 7 and 28, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. That seems a little shallow, that when Jesus had ended his sayings, they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's very, very important to understand the difference between those two. He, he, the sayings that are referred to is what Jesus was teaching and preaching on the, what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, a very, very important message. The Sermon on the Mount, the, if we could just summarize the message of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was, excuse me, Jesus was teaching on the very fundamental aspects of Christian living grassroots Christian living, what we should do, what we should not do. And when Jesus concluded, he concluded with these words. He said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Whoever hears these sayings and does them. Amen. Not just to those who heard, We've all heard some great preaching and great singing and great teaching. We've all heard that. But what really matters is what we're going to do with the word of the Lord that we have heard. And so he says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and whoever does them, that is the man that I will liken to a wise man that builds his house upon a rock. Because the word of God is all about hearing and then doing. It's instructional. It's as, it's as though we were called into the presence of the Lord. He said, I, I've got a word of instruction for you. And we were standing there, just you and the Lord, just me and the Lord. And the Lord says, this is what I would like for you to go and do. And if we just walk away and don't do it, how could we be anything less than utterly disobedient? And so it is in the house of the Lord. But you see, we've almost turned church. In our society, we've almost turned church into entertainment. Or we come and weigh everything in our scales of whether or not we like it or don't like it. If, if, if we like the song or we don't like the song. If we like the singer, we don't like the singer. If we like the speaker, God forbid, if we don't like the speaker. <laughs> Amen. And so we have to be very, very careful that we don't just turn this into a theater and we don't turn this into a stage and... We don't become performers, and I speak to all the ministers in the church and the singers and musicians, that we don't just become performers and that we're just trying to please the ear of mankind. We got to hear it. We got to get up then and do something about that word. Teaching and preaching, is, it's not a performance where, where we give this a thumb up or a thumb down. You know, that's kind of the world we live in. You watch a YouTube video and they're asking you for a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? You guys know what YouTube is, come on. And uh, so we give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We choose to describe or subscribe or we choose not to subscribe. And if we're not careful, we can bring all of these elements into church and we're just sitting there waiting to, well, I'll go to Facebook. We're just gonna like it or not like it, Amen. I choose to like that. And, <laughs> and have you ever noticed how that can affect your day? 
That's when social media is getting too deep in the, in the skin. When it's, well, Somebody didn't even like my picture. Well, I've had people call me and say, you didn't even like my pictures. I didn't even see it. <laughs> and so we're not here today. So take your hand off the mouse. <laughs> when we come to the house of God, it's not about thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm going to like this. I'm going to approve of this. But I want to come. God is going to speak. It's going to be instructional. And, and I've got to do something about it. The Bible is not a book that we can read and then decide whether or not we're going to apply those principles to our life. But the Word of God is about hearing and the Word of God is about doing. Unlike the scribes, Jesus didn't merely just parrot the words of another teacher. And so they were somewhat dumbfounded by this. They, they, the, what manner of man is this? He, he speaks and then they say, with authority. Not like the scribes who are just reading the law. They're just reciting the law. But there's some kind of authority that's here. And that authority is what arrested their attention. You know, some people feel like, well, I could just never live for God. That's their opinion. Because living for God is just far too restrictive. And from their perspective, all Christianity does is just prohibit you from doing what you really want to do or doing what feels good. But that's not true. That's not true at all. But we ask you, but I would, while I say that that's not true, I would also interject that, that what kind of world would this world be? And what kind of world would your world be if there were no rules at all? The speed limit on Interstate, on Interstate 75 is 70. But I'm going to tell you sometimes you take your life in your hands at 70 miles an hour. Because most people feel that's just a suggested starting point. <laughs> they're at 70 coming on the exit ramp or, or the entrance ramp they're at 70 that's just a suggested starting point and and so what would what would it be if there were uh, I've, I've many many times we and this is no no disparaging remark to law enforcement at all but i've i've been passed like i was sitting still and then you see a trooper in the median you go well just what do you got to do I mean, what, what is the threshold today? I mean, what is today's threshold? And so what would it be if everybody just did that which was right or there were no consequences to our actions? We just do whatever we want to do. You know, that's the, the motto of the world was if it feels good, do it. You know, just whatever, if it fits into your world, if it fits into your plans today, you know, scripturally and, history, and, and historically, you wouldn't have to read very far to find out what kind of world that would be. You just go to the book of Judges. The Bible says in the book of Judges that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Some people are evil and twisted and they feel that murder is right. Some people are evil and twisted and they feel like if you've got two and they've got none, then it's all right to take from you. Some people feel like if you've got one and they've got none, it's all right to take from you. And so this, what kind of demented world would this be? It would just be pandemonium. At best, it would be pandemonium. Our families would not be safe. Our society would not be safe. Amen. I'm going to tell you that any idea that the only good life that's possible is a life that is free from rules or restrictions is absolute nonsense. Just let your children do what they want to do when they want to do it. And just see what kind of, how the atmosphere of your own home will change. After a while, the inmates will be running the asylum. 
Amen. That's the absolute truth. And so we have to understand the value, the value of, of the word of God as it teaches us that we, we should walk this way and we should not walk this way. Amen. The law of Moses placed a lot of emphasis on negative commands, but it gave no power. The law gave no power to transform lives. It, were, it, were, it was just law. It was just black. It was just white. In the law, which begins in the 19th chapter of, book, of the book of Exodus, it contains about 613 commandments. Of these, 365 were negative or do nots, and about 248 of them were do this. But the law did nothing to enable these power, these people, it did nothing to enable them or empower them to either be able to fulfill the law, fulfill the things that were the do's, or abstain from the things that were the don'ts. And so the law became heavy and cumbersome. There was absolutely no power to do that. It was just instruction to do or instruction not to do. And that would be very, very weighty if somebody just told you what to do but didn't empower you to do that. If somebody didn't instruct you on ways to do that, it would be very, very frustrating. Moses was not at all optimistic about Israel's, about Israel's future. As a matter of fact, in the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy, he wrote, uh, and I'm just going to summarize this. He said, I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. He said, if while I am alive and I am with you and you are rebellious against the Lord, then how much more rebellious are you going to be if, when I die? If I'm alive and I'm present with you and you are rebelling against the Lord, then we don't stand a chance. If I take my hand off the wheel through death, he said, I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. You're going to turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. He said, evil is going to befall you in the latter days because you are going to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You're going to provoke him to anger. He said, through the work of your hands, you're going to provoke God. Now, the reason Moses felt so hopeless about their future was because God had already allowed him to see into their future. In Deuteronomy 31, this is what we see further. He said the people will rise up and they're going to seek after the gods of, of the strangers of this land. That's what they're going to do. I'm going to deliver them and I'm going to tell them to make no inhabitants or, league, or make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Don't bow down to their gods. Don't worship at their altars, but that's what they're going to do. They're going to forsake me, the Lord said, and they're going to break the covenant that they have made with me. Then the Lord said, my anger is going to be kindled against them and I'm going to forsake them. This is a frightening thing. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will hide my face from them. Amen. They shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them. Amen. And they're going to say in that day, are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. When I hear that, read that scripture and hear it referred to by others when the Lord would hide his face from them. That's very frightening to me. It takes me back, it takes me back to a story that I heard shared many years ago by Brother Don Johnson from Memphis, Tennessee. Brother Johnson was talking about uh, a, a young father who had a young son and prematurely had suffered the loss of his wife and the death of this child's mother. And 
And on the day of that funeral, they had gone to the funeral and to the cemetery. And, and finally, after everyone was home, the father and the child went back home. And they were there. It was their first night alone. The reality of the loss of this mother and companion closing in. And so in a little while, the, the, the little girl said, Dad, I, I'm just kind of a lonely and I'm afraid. said, do you mind if I, if I sleep with you? And so... Of course, as any father would, he welcomed her into his bed and, and turned out the light. And, and she finally, she was still somewhat upset and talking about how afraid she was. And then finally, in the, in the darkness of that night and in the darkness of that room, this little girl said to her father, she said, Dad, is your face turned toward me? And she said, he said, yes, my face is turned toward you. And when she knew that her father's face was turned toward her, she drifted off to sleep. That just so, so penetrated my heart and burned in my That's not a parable. That's a true story. And, and so when I think about God's face being turned toward me, I think about how much peace comes to my mind. I'm going to just say something on behalf of a lot of people that are sitting in this room that are not holding the microphone right now. There have been times in the, in the blinding storms of my life that my consolation was not found in the hope that the answer was going to come within the next 30 minutes, but my consolation came when I went to the Lord in prayer and I could sense that his face was still turned toward me. And I found peace and I found hope. Not an answered prayer, not a solution. Everything wasn't resolved. Every wrinkle wasn't ironed out. More questions and answers. But I could just tell that the face of God was turned toward me. The attention of God was turned toward me. And so when I read that, that Moses is hearing the Lord say that God is going to turn his face away from them, I mean, it just puts another layer of fright in that for me. Another layer of anxiety in that day he said they will say in that day are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us they are going to realize that their world is falling apart around them because their God is not among them amen so what's the problem God desired to establish Israel as a community of believers however according to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 20 they had no faith he wanted them to be people that would obey his voice. He desired for them to be people that would keep his covenant, but they would not. Amen, they would not. God wanted them to believe the words of Moses. He wanted them to believe what Moses said was true, but they would not. Again and again, if you own a Bible, if you have access to a Bible, you don't have to read very far before you see that the people are murmuring and complaining against Moses and you would think in our own practical way of, of, of laying out a situation that after one or two miracles that Moses, Moses would be the man. But that's not true at all. It's not true at all. They murmured, amen, some, to some degree, amen, they just felt like they could not. We cannot. Now, in the new covenant, the new covenant provides new birth and a new creation. I'm thankful today that I've been born again of the water and of the spirit. The Bible says in the book of John 16 and 13 that Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. I just want to pause here and tell you that you can't arrive at all truth without the spirit of truth abiding in your heart. 
Some people just think, as soon as I get my mind wrapped all around this, then I'm going to serve God. As soon as I get every little answer, uh, every little question answered in my mind, then I will commit myself to serve God. Can I tell you that you're listening to a trick of the devil that'll keep you in your life of sin? You're listening to a trick of the devil that'll keep you right there in your rut of, of failure. The only way you're going to ever know the whole truth of God is to walk in the truth that you have. I said this to someone recently that when we don't walk in the truth that we have, we, we risk losing that revelation. We risk walking and being able to walk and even understand the truth that we once possessed. We must walk in the truth. The prophets, the old major prophets and uh, of the Old Testament, amen, they understood this. They were aware that Israel had broken these covenants and so they anticipated a new day and God moved upon them and was speaking to them and dealing with them about a new covenant. I, I, I don't want to meander here and take too much time, but I just, I would, it would be remiss if I didn't mention this again. I just marvel at the old prophets. Amen. As they just began to speak of things that they had no way of understanding. We read the book of Isaiah now and Jeremiah now and we read the writings of uh we we read the writings of Joel and we just think wow but it was anything but wow anything but wow because when they were writing this when this was flowing through their heart when they were speaking these words it made no sense at all none whatsoever there had to be cynics in the crowd because there were human beings there. There had to be cynics in their world because they lived in the same world that we live in. Amen. But I'm going to, I'm just so thankful for those that would just speak what God places upon their heart. Amen. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, he said, 31, 31, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which my covenant they break which my covenant they break although I was an husband to them husbandman husband to them saith the Lord but this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days saith the Lord here it is I will put my law in their inward parts the law was written in the tables of stone. The law was written on parchment. And now Jeremiah is saying, I'm going to write it on the table of their heart. I'm going to write it on their inward parts. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Could you explain that? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sound ridiculous, but can you imagine having this conversation over a cup of coffee? What do you mean, Jeremiah? I don't know what that means. What are you trying to say? I don't really know how this is going to be, but he said, I'm going to write it in their heart and I will be their God and they will be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. What powerful promises. And here are these men that are standing all alone, but God is moving upon them and they speak the word and it is written, amen, in the eternal pages of this book. And aren't you thankful for that today? Amen. Listen to Ezekiel. The Bible said Ezekiel is following this up in Ezekiel 36 and 26. A new heart 
also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. This is not just gonna be something written down over there for us to let somebody else read it to us or it's not just gonna be something that we unfurl and read ourselves and put away but I'm gonna write it on your heart. Amen, Isaiah 59 and 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth nor out of the mouth of thy seed nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed for the Lord for, thus saith the Lord from henceforth and forever I'm going to do a permanent work it's going to be in your life it's, God's going to do something powerful amen the Lord spoke to David I believe in the 89th Psalm and he said I'm going to do a work in you I have chosen you I have selected you and my my word is going to be in your heart. My spirit, my favor is going to be upon you and it will not depart. And it says, if your sons and your daughters depart from my way, I'm paraphrasing. <coughs> he said, I will remove my spirit from them, but my spirit will I not remove from you. Can I tell you today that you don't have to stray away from God, that you don't have to walk away from God. If we do, it's going to be a choice that we make. David the Lord said, David, I'm going to keep my hand on you. I'm going to keep my favor on you and it's going to be for generations to come. If some decide they don't want it, that'll be their decision. But I'm going to keep my hand on you. I'm going to tell you today that if you want to hold his hand, he wants to hold your hand. If you, if, if you want to walk with him, he wants to walk with you. As we compare these prophecies concerning the New Testament or the New Covenant, there are several things that are worth noting. It's nothing, number one, like the law of Moses because the New Covenant consists of a transformed mind. It includes a change of heart. It includes forgiveness of sin. It involves receiving the Spirit of God in our life. It enables us to be obedient to the commands of God. God is not going to ask of us something and then not give us the power to fulfill it. He will not require something and then leave us dangling, but God is going to enable us. He will empower us. Hallelujah. I'm just asking you today, if there's ever been a mountain you didn't think you could climb, but you found God gave you the power to climb it. If you thought there was a, a gorge that you just couldn't get across, but the Spirit of the Lord empowered you and enabled you to get across. I'm thankful for the keeping power of the Lord. Amen. There's, there's something worth considering here. There's enough details about the new birth in the Old Testament. There's enough references to it. Those old prophets kept lobbing that truth over the fence of tomorrow. They kept projecting that truth into the future. There was so much, there was so much prophecy and so much of God's word about a new covenant that when we read the book of John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus, that Jesus completely expected Nicodemus to understand what he meant. I'm fixing to read it and prove this. John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst tell not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. To this Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Just in a pragmatic way, how can these things be? But Jesus responded to him in verses 9 and 10 by saying, are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? How could you be, how could you be plowing through all of the scripture and not have come across the words of Jeremiah? How could you have been giving, how could you be giving yourself to all of the word of God in the Old Testament? You haven't stumbled across the, you haven't stumbled across what Ezekiel said? Have you not at any point brushed up against the words of Isaiah? How could you not know? How could you not know these things? I'm going to tell you today that we can't just read the word of God and then set it down like it's a Louis L'Amour. We can't just read the God, word of God to all, with great deference to the Louis L'Amour fans. Amen. Do we? <laughs> I saw some of you gathering up your stuff. You're just fixing to... <laughs> I was about to lose several of you right there. I, I picked the wrong author. Amen. But we can't, just, we can't just pick up the Bible and read it and say, well, that's nice and I'll get around to that one day. But I'm going to tell you when the preaching comes home, amen, when it just lands right where we are, when it hits in our heart, you know what? It wasn't just another day. It wasn't just another service. It wasn't just another sermon. I got to decide what I'm going to do with that now. I got to pick that up. Amen. If, if the Spirit of God is talking about bitterness and forgiveness, forgiveness and getting our heart right and we got all that in our heart we got to do something about that because the mercy of God was reaching the mercy of God was coming amen the mercy of God was holding our hands saying you can do this hallelujah hallelujah we need God's spirit it is an imperative we need God's spirit amen I've got to understand the difference between self-discipline and spirit enablement Many people have the ability to discipline themselves to accomplish personal goals. Amen. People that are interested in, in uh, some sort of vocation, they dedicate, many of them dedicate much of their life to education and, and uh, in that particular field. Athletes all over the world do this every day. That's their interest. Musicians practice for hours and, and those hours turn to days and weeks and months and even years to be where they are today. Self-discipline. Self-will, but you see the Holy Ghost enables us to adopt a lifestyle that simply cannot be, that simply cannot be achieved by self-discipline. You can't think yourself holy. You can't think yourself pure. You can't discipline the sin out of your life. Not for long seasons at a time. For example, Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. You, cannot, you, you can obtain some of these on the surface through New Year's resolutions. Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other. And, and, and that's not to say that for a while we couldn't mimic those. But after a short while, somewhere down the road, we're not just going to be able through self-discipline to say, this is how I'm going to respond. This is what I'm going to do. We need the guiding of the Spirit of God. Amen. This is an internal work, not an external work. As Paul put it, 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want to be a son of God. Amen. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to be directed by the presence of God. And if that is the case, then I have got to get sensitive to his voice and I've got to tune myself to that world and not this world. Hallelujah. I've got to hear his voice and I need to be obedient when his Spirit begins to speak in my life. James uses an analogy of a mirror. And I used this analogy a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. He used the analogy of a mirror because this is how believers must not only hear the word of God, but we must see it for ourselves, And then we must respond. To summarize James, a few passages of chapter 1. He said, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a natural glass or a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and then forgets what manner of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of that work, this man is going to be blessed in what he does. That mirror, that looking glass, to see what it is. You've all, perhaps, at different venues seen mirrors that distort and make you look funny and weird and and those are all good for a laugh some mirrors um, people want to develop mirrors called skinny mirrors (laughs) it's the truth and it would and it was all predicated upon self-esteem. It'll make you feel much better about yourself. You're on your way out the door and you look in this skinny mirror. I'm being serious. And you look at, <laughs> I know it's hard to be. <clears throat> I wouldn't mind having one myself in many respects, but, but it's, can you just imagine? And you know where I'm probably going with this because some people want us to develop skinny pulpits. And just make me feel better about myself. When we really know the truth. Amen. (laughs) We really know the truth. I'm sorry for this. In advance, I'm sorry for this. Several, many, many years ago as Brother Tenney used to say, somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole. <laughs> there was a man singing one night, and, man, he was giving it all that he had, and that collar, that shirt collar was hanging on for dear life. <laughs> somebody leaned over to me. I was sitting beside, and he said, if that, front but- if that top button comes off, he says, somebody in this crowd is going to lose an eye. <laughs> <laughs> so, skinny mirror or no... We probably realize when we're having trouble swallowing, right? We probably know the truth is my point. So you, do you really want to come to a church where somebody just really soft soaps everything down and we just prop up some spiritual skinny mirror and we all come in and say, man, I am a spiritual giant. 
But when we drive home, we know we haven't prayed all week long. We haven't fasted in months and we hadn't read the Bible. We know those truths. We know that there's gossip in our heart and we know that there's dissension and we know that we planted seeds of discord against the ministry of the church. We know all those things, but we feel better about ourselves because we've, we propped up in front of some sort of spiritual skinny mirror. I say, oh God, just let the word of the Lord reveal me who I am. Help me to do something about it. Amen. Help us to come to terms with this. Amen. Just help us to come to terms with this. Please hear me today. Please hear me today. We don't need skinny mirrors propped up in the house of God. Skinny mirrors propped up in our prayer room. We just need the raw truth. Here I am, God. I just need your word to touch me. If there's things in my heart, I'm asking you today to just move that, God. Help me to get it out. And you know what? Sometimes we don't even have to say if there's things in my heart because we know they're there and we know what they are and we can identify them. We can call them by name. We know when they arrived in our life. We know the situation that jaded our spirit. We know the circumstance that put all in our heart against somebody. So we don't need to go play those games if I've said anything, if I've done anything, if I have something in my heart, we just need to say, hey God, I need you to level with me and I need to level with you. I gotta get a shower. I need a spiritual bath in my mind and my heart and my soul. Why? Because I don't need to be a hearer of the word only, but I need to be a doer of the word as well. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Touch my mind, touch my heart. Speak the word, oh God, to me. Speak the word, oh God, to me. Amen. You see, true religion doesn't consist of wisdom for our consideration. Well, I'll think about that. Preaching is not saying, you know, we're going to lay something here. Let me know what you think. True religion proclaims truth that when it is obeyed, it produces a behavior and it's a benefit to all. It's a benefit to all. A person doesn't have to receive the value of the word of God, will not receive the value of the word of God until we hear it and then do it. It has got to become a part of our life, a part of our life. There's little value if we just merely hear. Because when we just hear and do nothing about it, then we just deceive ourselves. And I taught on deception a few weeks ago it's a very dangerous thing. I mean, they think there, maybe there's just some advantage to just hearing the word of God, hearing the word of God. Now listen, I want to say something. I do enjoy listening to the word of God with audio Bibles and, and all. Those are wonderful benefits. And I'm thankful. And a lot of times when I'm alone, even sometimes if I have, am having trouble sleeping at night, I might just put an ear pod in and just listen to the word of the Lord. But I don't think that's the same thing as studying. Amen. I need to hear it, but I got to do something about it. I need to dig around in it, rake a few of the leaves back, slide back some of the confusion. I need to get to the heart of the matter. Amen. The term smoke and mirrors is often used to describe how musicians create illusions, but I can tell you that there is no place for illusions in our walk with God. Many of you may know Brother, uh, Brother Arnold is a tremendous illusionist. And um, um, I, 
I and many others, one, one time a few years ago, we were, uh, my wife and I and Brother and Sister Arnold were out eating. And when we were taken back to our seat, to, when we were taken back to the table to be seated, somebody had left about, I don't know, six or eight quarters on the table as a tip. And the waitress was reaching out to get those quarters, and he reached in and grabbed them. And we were standing right there. And I'm like, was it Bobby and Amanda? Y'all were at the, at the and, and Brother Jason uh, Varnum is the very same way. And we were standing right there, and he was doing more with those six or eight quarters, and we were standing this close. They were there, and then they disappeared. But they didn't really disappear. They were there and then they were gone. They were here and then they were there. But it was all just an illusion. Nobody's pulling a quarter out of an ear. Nobody's. It's all just an illusion. And the house of God is not a place for an illusion. For there to be a semblance of a move of God. For us to just, it just seemed like the presence of the Lord was here only to find out that he really wasn't here. No room in our life for that kind of thing, for there to be just some superficial walk with God. Amen, I must walk with him in reality. Our musicians are coming. Amen, we need to hear the word of the Lord and we need the spirit of God to touch our heart and our lives. Amen, anybody who looks into the word of God, hears the word of God, and walks away and does nothing about it is running the risk of being deceived because we're called on to do something about it. We're called on to do something about it. I've shared the story many times, but it it just fits. When you know something's wrong, you can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend it's all going. Everything's going to be all right. You have to do something. My cousin and I were riding down the road in her car. We were just teenagers, and the engine started knocking. And I said, "I think there's something wrong." You hear that? And she just reached down and turned up the volume of the radio. I thought that was the funniest thing. We just died laughing for about a mile. Because you see, there was really something wrong. And you can't ignore when something's really wrong. So you can just turn up the noise level of your life somewhere else, just get more involved in your job, more involved in your family, more involved in your kids. I mean, what could be more noble providing for your house, loving your family. But when we ignore what thus saith the word of God, there's coming a day. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's coming a day. Nobody steal this thought from me now because I'm going to preach on this in the future. There's coming a day. In the book of Luke, I think it's four where um, Jesus asked for the book and he read. Am I right there? Yeah. 
And he read and he picked up and he read from the book of Isaiah. And then the scripture says that he closed the book and he handed the book back to the disciples. Now watch what's going on here. He put the book, this book, back in the hands of the ministry. But there's coming a day that he's going to take that book back. And from this same book, we're going to be judged. It's a very serious thing. Heaven's not going to be a pop quiz. The judgment's not going to be a pop quiz. We're going to hear the words like Nicodemus heard. Say, you've been a teacher of the law all this time and you didn't know this? I mean, that's kind of a rebuke to a man that's so hungry. You, you, you've been right here in all this and you don't know this? But you see, we're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. I feel the Spirit of the Lord just digging here today. Ezekiel, I want you to go and preach. They may or may not hear you, but I need you to go because I need them to know that in judgment, there was a prophet in their midst. And I, I believe with all of my heart, we can have all kind of visions of judgment that we want to have, but I believe a part of judgment is when people deny the Lord's just going to say, come here. And I think there's going to be a long line of Ezekiel-like ministers. You remember that church on the corner? You remember this place? You remember that revival? You remember that meeting? You remember that happen chance in a restaurant? You remember that? That was my mercy reaching out. It was my goodness reaching out. Amen. God help us to become a hearer and a doer of the word. Amen. Can we just lift our hands and love the Lord for just a second? I don't think we need to rush through this moment right here. Speak God your word to our heart. Speak, God, your word to our heart. Amen. Would you let the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch you today? Amen. Let's don't just have a 15-second prayer. But, oh, God, I need you to walk up and down the aisle of my heart here this morning. Strengthen me today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.